Good morning. How you doing? All is well. So glad to be here this morning. Uh, like Tim said, my name is Rick Palmer, area director of Young Life Downtown Columbia. I'll be honest with you, I don't have the opportunity to do this often, uh, but don't get nervous because typically when the speaker says that, that means, hey, don't hold me accountable. Um, <laughs> but uh, b- before I get started, I-, I want you to, my wife, my beautiful wife, Christine Palmer is here with me, my son, Mosaic, uh, and my daughter, Zari, is somewhere out there playing with kids, I imagine. Uh, but once again, I'm so glad to, to be here this morning. Uh, I, and to be honest with you, I do have home court advantage. Uh, Steve and Linda Gentino are my next door neighbors. So <laughs> I, I told Linda this morning, it's a shame that I have to come to your church to see you. Um, but Steve is always working out in the yard. And I am the guy that's looking across the fence like, man, what is Steve doing over there? He's always building something or making something. So I am envious and I'm always watching his projects from afar. Uh, also, we have young life leaders who are here uh, in the, the congregation. So once again, I have home court advantage, and it's so uh, honored to have an opportunity to do this. Uh, before I go any further, uh, can we just, um, let's go to Mark chapter 9, um, and we're going to begin with verse 30, Mark chapter 9, and we'll, we'll read the text. We'll, we'll move around a little bit. Uh, this morning, I have my notes, and I promise to stay behind this podium uh, typically, I don't do either of those two. I typically just go for it. I don't stay behind the podium, and I don't use notes. But, but, but David told me, he said, man, you got 25 minutes, brother. So listen, do your thing, but get out of the way in 25 minutes. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so please know that I will honor and respect the time that you all have given me. And once again, I, I've, I've, I'm really excited and privileged to be doing this. So we're going to go to Mark chapter... 9, beginning at verse 30, and we're going to go 30 through verse 37, and then we'll, we'll pray. Um, and this is what it says. It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Talking to the disciples, of course, right? It says, but they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Isn't that amazing that Jesus is talking about death and they're over here talking about, man, hey, look, Pete, I'm better than you, right? (laughs) Philip, dude, you're slacking. I am great. Did you see that miracle I performed yesterday? Jesus is is talking about going to the cross, dying on the cross, giving his life up. And the disciples are like, dude, I am the best. (laughs) Verse 34. But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another. I just read that. Verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Uh, This morning, well, let me pray. Let me pray. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so, so very much for your word. Um, Your word is precious. Your word is divine. Um, And we pray that you would continue to convict us by your precious Holy Spirit. 
uh, to follow the way that we should go. Um, Lord, we thank you once again for an awesome opportunity to spend time in your word. It gives us life. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. Amen. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about the makings uh, of a servant. Um, Not just serving, but the makings of a servant. Uh, uh, What Jesus was constantly doing with his disciples was, was not just giving them credit for serving or for doing something. He was actually developing them into being servants. Uh, when you serve, it's something that you do. Being a servant is actually who you are. Uh, and, and I love what Jesus does because like over and over and over in Scripture, we see where Jesus is pressing in and helping them understand that no, 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 no. It's more than what you do. It's, it's actually who you are by your very nature. Come and follow me as I am a servant to all of humanity. Uh, And if you think that there's uh, not any distinction between serving uh, and being a servant, I'm pretty sure you've been to a restaurant before and received terrible service, right? And so my my point is, and even as Christians, oftentimes, like, we wear the uniform of being servants. And the Lord is like, eh, I'm not sure I see your heart. And so this morning, we want to talk about, once again, just the makings of a servant. There's a couple of things I want to say. Uh, before I, I jump back over here to the passage, uh, and, and, and here they are. Um, oftentimes we're paying attention to what God is doing through us and not what he's doing to us. Uh, see, oftentimes, uh, you know, with the disciples, the Lord had already given them power, uh, and they had power to, to heal the sick and, and heal the blind. Uh, they can go to a home or a village or a place and totally turn that thing upside down because the Lord had anointed them with power. Uh, but he didn't pass them or give over to them or hand over to them like humility. They had to learn that through experience and community. And so what they had was this power to do amazing things, but that can be really, really dangerous because what happens is you start recognizing, man, I'm really good at doing this. And we're, well, not yet. And let me know when that buzzer goes. I'm 25 minutes. <laughs> Give me a few minutes. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples, it talks about Jesus sent out 72 disciples. And, and, and what happened is they came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, listen, man, demons are afraid and they tremble and they come out of people when we mention your name. They were so excited. But you know Jesus, and I tell people all the time, Jesus is the epitome of cool. I always just imagine Jesus just being this really cool guy. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Like, but he had, he had a coolness to him that, that wasn't like this false coolness. Like It was real coolness because like, like Jesus didn't function out of pride. So imagine when they came back to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, did you know that your name has power? He's like, Yeah, I, I know. The epitome of cool. And so while serving the community, they were witnessing that, man, we have this awesome and amazing power that Jesus has given us. If we're not careful, the, the people that we serve become subjects to a, way in which, to a way in which we can express our individual giftedness or display our organizational prowess. 
The disciples had gone out and they recognized, and you'll see uh, even more so this morning uh, in Scripture, you'll see where the crowds would gather and the disciples would be front and center because everybody knew, man, these are the guys who are changing things. They have power. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, even on this morning, this, this sermon is one that I preach to myself all the time. Uh, and I was just telling somebody a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's funny because my job in young life, uh, if, if you don't know, we consider ourselves missionaries to, the, to high schools and middle schools. And so you have college students who come alongside of us and they give eight to ten hours a week on the inside of a school developing community around Christ in local high schools. And so it's funny because as an area director, I am always trying to recruit, always trying to develop young life leaders because it matters. But I'll be honest with you if I can. It was easier for me when I was just living my life as a Christian before I had a scoreboard. Uh, see, in, in young life, because of my job, like, like I am always going for the next school and the next kid and the next thing. And I'm always doing more. And I catch myself looking up at the scoreboard. Because if you're around other area directors, the first question is, hey, man, how, so how many schools are you in? How many, how many leaders do you have? Man, how many kids did you bring to camp? Hey, how many kids dedicated their lives to the Lord? And I'm not saying that a scoreboard is wrong, but I I will tell you this, that, that oftentimes, more often than not, I'm watching that scoreboard and I'm not really paying attention to what the Lord is really doing in me and through me. And if you are really, and I know that you are, like, if you are really a church on a mission and and, and you know that the Lord is calling you to serve, but also calling you to be a servant, every now and then we're watching that scoreboard. And, and, And that's why this message on this morning is one that I hold near and dear to my heart. Because the funny thing about it is this, as we look at the disciples and we're saying, man, how dare they? As Jesus is talking about the death, burial, and resurrection, or just his death, how dare they sit over there and talk about who's the greatest? But I'll be honest with you. I think that's a part of our problem. I think that while the Lord is requiring that we give it all up and give it all away, we are measuring how effective we are, and how great we are. And we're not even using Jesus as the example. We are looking around at each other, other churches, other ministries. I'll tell you what, there is no ministry that's as good as Young Life when it comes to being a missionary, missionaries to high schools. Nobody. That's what I really believe, Right? And so when I watch other ministries or other things happening with success, I'm like, what do they, what do they think they're doing? Or when I come up to somebody and, and they're asked, hey, does Young Life really disciple kids or do you guys just hang out with kids? Oh, nothing burns me up more. <laughs> right, Young Life leads, you've had that before, right? Hey, you guys just hanging out with kids, just having fun with kids, or are you really discipling them? Oh, that burns me up. I'm like, we're, we're better than you. There's this competition. 
that, that bruise on the inside of us. And the Lord, what he's telling us is that, see, the, the spirit of being a servant is a man and a woman who functions in humility. I, there's, there's no way that you can serve and push and shove and jockey for position. There's no way you can do it. Uh, in the book of Philippians, it talks about Jesus emptying himself. Like, and, it, and it wasn't saying that Jesus was, was never not God. Like, he is God in the flesh, right? But what it was saying was that he was putting aside his prerogatives to serve all of humanity. Because if he doesn't lay his, his prerogatives aside, he never goes to the cross. He never really serves. And so on this morning, what I, what I want to talk about is, man, what will Jesus do with us and for us to keep us in a healthy place of serving? Like, like what will Jesus bring to us? Now, in that moment, it doesn't feel like a gift. It doesn't look like a gift. But Jesus gives us gifts through circumstances and through people that will humble us crush us in some instances. But what he's doing is saying is, I want you to be a servant. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, could you go to the, we're Mark 9 already, right? Let's do this right here. Let's go to verse Mark 9, 14. Let's go to 14. And so we started out with the disciples uh, having this argument amongst themselves, they dare not do that in front of Jesus. So they were kind of whispering back and forth. And Jesus was like, hey, what y'all talking about? And they did not want to admit to him that they, they were kind of talking about who was the greatest. And so, of course, Jesus lets them know that, hey, he who is greatest amongst you shall be called a servant. Like it works in reverse in my kingdom. And so here's a few things that I want to talk about as, as far as Jesus gifting them with that will keep them in a healthy place of being servants. And I'll give you a quick backdrop. Uh, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the mountain, uh, and, and it was called the Mount of Transfiguration. They basically saw Jesus in his glory. So you could, matter, you could imagine Peter, James, and John as they are walking down this mountain. The other disciples are struggling, trying to get a demon cast away from this kid. And so now, but imagine if you're Peter, James, and John, you were with Jesus, you were selected, right? It's only like three, and everybody else is down on the bottom of the mountain. So they are coming down, and Jesus even told them, hey, don't tell nobody what you just saw. So they are coming down, and remember what I just said, there, there's something on the inside of us that's, that's saying, hey, man, you know I'm the best. So imagine if they had this, rev this revelation and this experience. So they're walking down from the mountain, and this is what they, this is what they see. Verse 14, it says that when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And they asked them, what are you arguing with them about? It says, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit and that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. The, the first thing I want you to see and recognize before we go any further in that 
is that disciples and Jesus, they lived in a constant state of interruption. Constantly. In fact, I think Jesus encouraged interruptions. Like the, 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 the disciples, as Jesus was, was creating and making and developing them into servants, they were always in a constant state of interruption. For instance, they didn't go out saying, hey, guys, healing service today, three to six. Hey, guys, meet us at the temple on Saturday at nine. We got you. In fact, they didn't know what was coming. (laughs) They didn't know where it was coming from, who it was coming from. And so they stay in the state of constant interruption. Well, Rick, why why would that be so important? Uh, Because, guys, you know how we do. When it comes to ministry and serving, we make it nice, we make it neat, and we package it. And we say, okay, all right, I serve. Oh, that's it. That was my Saturday. And we make it nice, and we make it neat, and we tuck it all in. And when Jesus asks or requires for more, we're like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you going? And what he's saying is, I'm making you a servant. See, serving is cool, but I'm, I'm making you a servant. In fact, do me a favor. Go over to Mark chapter 6 for me. I hope I'm not being schizophrenic and running all over the place. I am a little bit. I know it. And I talk real fast. I got 25 minutes, guys. Go to Mark chapter 6 for me, verse 30. They were in a constant state of interruption. I'm going to read it quickly. And it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. Check this out. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and had got ahead of them. Jesus' disciples had been out all day healing people, doing their thing. So Jesus says, hey, it's been a long day. How about you guys rest? The people from the town saw them, recognized them, and beat them to the resting place. Let's see what happens. It says, and when, when he got ashore, verse 34, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Jesus, no time for compassion? Dude, we're tired. You just told us to find a desolate place and rest. Why is the crowd here with us? Why are you having compassion now? Don't you know I was supposed to be gone 30 minutes ago? Oh, you want me to do this on Monday too? Really, Jesus? Look at what it says. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. The disciples are are, are disturbed. They're like, man, wait a minute, Jesus. Do you want us to rest or not? Number one. Number two, why in the world are you spending so much time teaching them and talking to them? Hey, the buck stops here. In fact, they were trying to convince Jesus to send the crowd away. I bet it was Peter. You know, Peter pulled us up. Hey, look, you don't have to go home, but you got got to get out of here, people. Let's go. Peter couldn't wait. Let's go, people. Keep it moving. 
should not wait. Like, hey, man, it's time to go. This is too much. You're pressing in. And what Jesus said was like, no, they are like sheep without a shepherd. He had this compassion for them. Like, isn't it like, like God always wants to stay a little longer than you want to stay? <laughs> and he, all, he always wants to go a little bit deeper than you want to go. Remember Jesus was, was in the man's house and, and, and the guys brought their, their friend onto the top of the roof while Jesus was preaching the sermon and broke through the roof? <laughs> Imagine Jesus sitting there giving a sermon. I mean, stuff is falling on his head, too. Like, okay, all right. But Jesus, as being a cool guy that he is, allows it to come on down. He does the healing. Interruption. Remember Bartimaeus? Jesus was gone, and all of a sudden, blind Bartimaeus is screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd told Bartimaeus, man, be quiet. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Remember Jairus and his daughter who was sick? Jesus was in a constant state of interruption. See, because what the interruption does is it makes you think about your heart. It makes you think differently. Like, what happens when the interruption happens all of a sudden? In young life, it happens to me all the time. About two weeks ago, we had a kid who I hang out with often. And Christine called me. She says, she says hey, he's here. I said, okay, that's cool. I'll be, in, I'll be home in a minute. She says, but he has his luggage. He has his bags. She said, I hadn't asked him why. I said, okay, it's cool. <laughs> My mind is like, Okay. <laughs> And I get there, and of course, he has no place to stay. But it happened beyond my work life, out, my young life hours. This wasn't club. This wasn't campaign or Bible study. This wasn't the day that, I, that, that is on my calendar to, to hang out with kids. The interruption. And see, the interruption is a gift. Because it keeps you away from just doing just enough to make yourself feel good. Just enough. Let's get off the interruption. We'll go. Uh, another thing I want to give you as far as what Jesus would give you. Uh, go back to, to Mark 9 for me. Um, you don't, may not have to go back. You just stay where you're at. We're going to go back to, to 9 verse 18. We were just talking about the gift of, of, of just inconvenience and, 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 and how Jesus would constantly just kind of stay in the state where he was interrupted all the time. And, and if you're talking about really being developed into a servant, you have to live in and with some of that. Um, let's go back to verse 18. We're in verse, uh, verse 18, chapter 9. And this is the, this is the, the, the father explaining um, the spirit that's upon his son. It says, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast, it not, to cast it out, and they were not able. You can stop right there. I asked your disciples to cast the demon out, and they couldn't do it. The, the next gift that, that Jesus will do for you when he's developing you into not just serving but being a servant is that at some point in time your mojo won't work. The, the, the thing that you, you have so much pride in, the, the, the system that you developed, 
the way that you do it, the way that you approach things, the way that you handle it. At some point, especially when Jesus, again, is, is developing you to be a servant, see, that mojo ain't working. It's, 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 it's funny to me when I go, uh, I'm a leader at Eau Claire High School, and sometimes I'll have a conversation with the principal, and she'll be like, Rick, I didn't know he was a part of Young Life. Because <laughs> what she's saying is Young Life ain't working for him. <laughs> oh, I didn't know she was a part of Young Life. <laughs> what she's saying to me is, Rick, your thing is not working because the child is not, the child is not changing. The thing isn't working. It's, 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 it's not happening. I always laugh when I look at this passage because I always uh, picture the disciples. The first one goes up, healed. <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> Philip goes up, healed. We're like, Philip, we know you. No, Philip, healed. Nothing. Thomas, you go. No, Thomas, don't worry about it, Thomas. You stay back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Judas go down. No. <laughs> Did they go one by one? Did they form a line? Did they do a circle? Like, and then all, and then you know how it goes when you realize, man, this thing is not working. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> but when Jesus is developing you into being a servant, it's a gift. Because the disciples didn't even know that they were disconnected. Uh, you, you know, autopilot. You kind of push play, but your heart is is disconnected. Uh, because it comes so easy or you've done it so often and you're just kind of just doing it. Man, recently it hit me like a ton of bricks because oftentimes uh, in, in reference to being a servant, it's in your own house. How you do your wife, your children, your Like I'm telling you, man, one day I came home and sorry, my four-year-old daughter, just as cute as all outdoors. You can see at the service, she, she's out there. <laughs> she came up to me and she said this, she said, Daddy, when you say yes and okay, I don't believe you. <gasps> Ton of bricks. She said, yeah, when you say, when you say yeah, yeah, like, I, I don't believe you. You're not telling the truth. Y'all want to cry. Four years old, and what she's recognizing is that I can even play with her but not be there. That I can say yes, yes, and okay, okay, but my heart is not connected to the serving, of, like the serving my daughter and being with her. And we can do ministry exact same way where we're just doing it, but it's on autopilot. And what Zara was saying to me was, she's like, Daddy, I'm four years old. I'm a little girl. You got to pay attention to me, baby. You got to come on my level. See me. Come down here. Be with me. Connect with me. Look into my eyes. Hug me. Love me. Embrace me. Nurture me. I'm not mosaic. Mosaic wouldn't even care. Cool, daddy. What's up? <laughs> but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because God is saying, no, 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 no. She requires more. It, it, it's your heart. It's not just your hand. And it's the exact same thing in ministry, that God is not just requiring your hand, he's requiring your heart, because in the process of of, of you applying your hands to it, God is changing your heart. But when you do the work and distance distance your heart from it, then there's no change. Because ministry doesn't just work for you, and serving doesn't just work for, I'm sorry, work for them, it works for you as well. 
when your mojo's not working. I can't tell you how many times Christine tells me, you always do that. <laughs> do something different. It makes you ask, man, why? What, what happened here? It's a, and it's a precious, amazing gift. In the moment, it hurts. But remember, Jesus is doing something bigger and or greater. We got to move on here. Uh, the last thing I'll give you is this in reference to what the Lord is giving you or gifting you with when he's developing you to be a servant, not just to serve. And we'll skip down. We'll go back to that same passage in Mark chapter 9. And this is when, because Jesus eventually comes in and he casts out the demon and the disciples are like, dang, why couldn't we do that? And verse 28 says, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this, can, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some of your translations says prayer and fasting. And so in other words, Jesus said, well, no, 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 no. This is, this is not the regular, usual thing. It, this takes prayer. And, and the last thing I'll say to you as far as the Lord gifting you with something is, he will gift you with a burden that presses you into prayer. Um, John Vickery, one of our senior leaders in Young Life, he says, he says, man, if you're doing a mission without prayer, that's the highest form of arrogance. Ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. And what happens all too often is that we're doing it, but it's not even like we're doing it because we know that the Lord is absolutely behind it and he's gifting us to do it and he's giving us power to do it. We're doing it because it feels right, it looks like it looks right, and it makes us feel good. But prayer is absolutely essential if, once again, if you're talking about not just serving, but being a servant. I'm going to read one quick quote for you uh, from Henry Nouwen. Um, he has this book, like, I have a little prayer book, um, and it's called The Only Necessary Thing. And he's, it's just a book of prayer. And, and this is what he says about prayer. He says, he says, prayer is leading every sorrow to the source of all healing. It is letting the warmth of Jesus' love melt the cold anger of resentment. It is opening a space where joy replaces sadness. Mercy supplants bitterness. Love displaces fear. Gentleness and care overcome hatred and indifference. But most of all, prayer is the way to become and remain part of Jesus' ministry, I'm sorry, mission, to draw all people to the intimacy of God's love. That is the beginning and end of anything that we can do as servants. Prayer. Let us not do another thing in reference to God, to serving our community, to serving whoever it may be, without knowing that we're doing it because we are in the Lord's will. And we've discovered that in prayer. Can I pray for us? I'm at 3017.
Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I thank you so, so very much just for the occasion to be here in the midst of brothers and sisters. Um, Father, I pray that you continue, Jesus, to mold us, to fashion us um, into servants. Um, Lord, you are so amazing, and you are allowing us to be a part of you changing our city, to you changing our workplace, to you changing our homes. Father, we love you and we thank you. Give us the courage and the boldness, Father, to do all that you're asking. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.